Step back and close your eyes. Try to remember where you were at this point one year ago. Did you think we'd be coming out of this haze? Did you think we'd have shows on the horizon? Did you think you'd gather with your friends again in a sticky pavilion awaiting the return of live music? We'll come back to the ravine. Explorations in Atonal Fish. This is episode 13. Summer tour is upon us. The joy, the heat, the bright set ones and the ominous set twos. It's all waiting. Mosquitoes and humidity in the Midwest. The passage of summer to fall at Dick's. We're all back together again. Just about. In celebration of the return, the ravine will exist within summer tour for the next three months. Three supersized episodes containing the best of each month of summer tour. Each showcase in the diversity and underlying similarities of fish tour crossing the U.S. during the heat wave. We begin the journey with a sonic wave of noise. Landing in summer 1995, June 22nd to be exact, for the jam that should bridge theme from the bottom and tweezer from the Finger Lakes. From there we jump 14 years ahead in time to the band's first headlining performance at Bonnaroo for the spacious jam off rock and roll which would eventually bleed into light. In just the 13th show of 3.0 we heard the band experiment with a wall of sound approach which would ultimately find its period of sustained success some two years later. Just five years earlier it was June 19th, 2004's take on a song I heard the ocean sing from SPAC. A brilliant dive from the 2.0 underworld. It was in these shows where the band wondered aloud if they should push on regardless of the personal challenges which clouded their career. Shifting backwards again some 10 years, we landed in Indianapolis for a sprawling take on Antelope in the Marat Theater, just 10 months past the breakthrough performance of Bathtub Gin from the same room. Capping off with a searing down with disease jam. We hear the gimmicky fish of early 1994 meet the exploratory fish of November and beyond. 18 years forward, we move to Bader Field. The only three-night run in the makeshift venue's history. We hear the stunning take on Birds of a Feather from June 15, 2012. One of those moments in early 2012 where it became crystal clear just how ready Fish was to attack the year. The Lyrical Gem is one of my favorite moments of early 3.0. Finally, we close the first segment of the night with a passage from the June 10, 2000 Piper in Tokyo, Japan. A massive gem that would showcase the spacious minimalism they've been playing with in Big Cypress would perfect during set two of their June 14, 2000 show in Fukuoka. This serves as both a hint of what's to come and a mesmerizing example of intraband communication. From here we're going to continue toying in the world of deeply exploratory fish. The sounds may shift from the caustic to the blissful, but the goal of linear communication is ever-present. Thanks for tuning in.
This is the ravine.
Pennants are not won by one hit or even one game, despite what the standings say. The roots of the Milwaukee's success in 1982, they went on to win the American League pennant playoffs against the California Angels and then lost in the World Series in seven games to the St. Louis Cardinals, who had a young outfielder named David Green in their lineup. Stretch back months and years in countless directions to Jim Gatner's fortuitous 12th round selection in the 1974 draft, to Bud Selig's support of Harvey Keene during his physical tribulations of the late 1970s, to Harry Dalton's apprenticeship with the Orioles in the 1950s. Ray Ponavent had scouted and signed David Green out of Nicaragua. Ray Scarborough, who died of a heart attack in early July, had lobbied hard for the trade that sent Green to St. Louis, and had even brought fingers and company to Milwaukee. After his eventually wasted efforts with Paul Molitor, Sam Sapiliozo had taught Charlie Moore the fundamentals of outfield play. George Bamberger had insisted that Dalton retrieve Gorman Thomas from the Texas Rangers. George Blayholder of the St. Louis had perfected in the 1930s the pitch that Raleigh Fingers had built his success on. And Bud Selig had devoted most of his adult life to baseball in Milwaukee. He had begun, he said, with Steve Halvey and Jerry McNeertry, and had finally attained success with an outstanding collection of genuine stars. He had once needed to sell a million tickets to make a profit. In 1982, he said the 1,978,896 the club drew enabled it only to break even. Meanwhile, baseball in Milwaukee was pumping over $100 million annually into the local economy. It was providing a city devastated by a faltering economy with spiritual health as well. It gave Seelig himself something more than an auto dealership on which to center his professional life. And it gave all those who took part, players, ownership, fans, an arresting focus for an afternoon, a season, a lifetime. Nine innings. Daniel Krent, page 259. For June is when the dreams of October are laid bare. You either have it or you don't. You will find out by the end of the first month of summer. The joy, the sadness, the ups, the downs, the heat, the devastating crack of an opponent's bat. It all takes shape in June. For whatever April and May said about you from a curiosity standpoint or a stunning disappointment, come June, it all comes to fruition. In the same way, June is when the foundations of Fish's summer tour are laid out. The year is told in many ways through the band's performances through June. Does the energy of the first bit of outdoor shows produce magic, or is there a tentative approach out the gates? We learn this all through June before the band settles in for July's brilliance and August's build to the isolation of festivals. From Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, we began this segment in the candy grooves of the June 4th, 2011 Sneaking Sally through the alley. A bouncy and bubbly groove from early summer 2011 
It was here we thought the entire tour was going to follow suit from its initial weeks. Jumping back in time 23 years, we heard a subtle take on Mike's song, the second jam from the evening of June 19, 1998 at Nectar's. The exploratory vibes that would dictate Fisher's summer tours to come was already present here. We then moved into summer 1995 for a second of three selections from the wildest tour the band ever embarked on. Here listening to Free from SPAC on June 26, 1995. A demented waltz of a jam. We hear the band's classical influences toy with their prog and psychedelic intuitions. Fifteen years minus one day and... We're in Camden, New Jersey for a stunning take on Chalk Dust Torture from summer 2010. The first Type 2 Chalk Dust of 3.0. This one hinted at where the band would take the tune come summer 2012 and beyond, and also highlighted the bass wizardry of Mike Gordon. We close the segment with two demented pieces of music from two completely different eras. Up first was the Funk Jam from June 20th, 1997. A dive into the linear musical minds of Fish in June 1997. We hear much of the music they'd use as an inspirational songboard throughout the remainder of the year, here packed in four minutes of percussive grooves. Finally, it was the massive take on 20 years later from the final night of June 2019. Returning to Camden, we hear the band move away from the song's methodical build and into a deeply psychedelic space that harkened back to 2.0, while also showcasing the weird inspirations that still color fish throughout their later years. For a final segment of the night, we're going to return once again to the demented ideas which color so much of fish's jamming in amphitheaters throughout America before moving into the blissful tones that feel like a rural drive out from a city center to a sprawling lot in the haze. From the Man Music Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, we'll begin with David Bowie from June 24th, 1995. Summer 95 is perfection to me, and I felt it only appropriate to share as much of it as I could here. Savor the disturbing vibes of the tour. There's nothing else like it. Up next, we linger in the Funkified Jam off Stash from June 19, 1997, in Vienna, Austria. A jam that preludes the Amsterdam version from just a few weeks away while lingering more overtly in the world of funk. We hear it toy with Ghost before ultimately landing there. Moving into the 3.0 period, we're treated to an atmospheric and ambient segment inside of Harry Hood. A moment almost too shocking in the moment to properly assess. It's been swept under the 3.0 rug for many. For those who dig back in the vaults of early 3.0, though, it's a clear indication that, while it may take time, the band was well on their way to rediscovering the improvisationally focused side of themselves. Finally, we close the night with a blissful take on light from June 26, 2016 at Deer Creek. In a much maligned June for the band, we hear them connect for a fully focused and punchy take on their 3.0 anthem. 
hinting at the brilliance of Dick's 2016 and the October tour. We hear the band that lit up summer 2015 and the band that would own New York City just one year later, emerging, however briefly. I want to thank you once again for keeping your dial set on the ravine. This was episode 13. A special episode it was. My name is Brian Brinkman, and I hope you've enjoyed yourself. See you back in July for a double-dose deep dive once again. Till next time.
Thank you.